Yeah, I think I'm going to try preaching from one of them things one of these times. It's like a supercharged iPad. They said, why don't you preach from your iPad? I don't trust it yet. This paper, I trust. I'm just not there yet. But one day, maybe. I, I, don't, I tell you about Jerry Ford. Y'all remember Jerry? Um, he was, uh, you know, he's 80-some years old now, like forever. And uh, he was doing a funeral. And I was attending the funeral. And he, I noticed he had one of the little jobs in his hand, you know. And it wasn't an iPad. It was a, uh, I think it was a, uh, what's the, the Kindle Fire. And so I said, I said, Jerry, I said, do you preach from that? He goes, sure do. How cool that an older guy, I mean, you know, 83 is like, definitely qualifies as older. And here he's using electronic devices. I said, well, how come do you like him? And he said, let me show you. He turned that puppy on, the letters were that big. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. There's a real benefit to making those letters really, really big. So that's really cool. That's very good. Hey, so I want to talk about tonight, as, as my brother just said, I want to talk tonight about about sharing your faith. You know, we know the numbers that we've heard. And again, I've got the Sunday night crowd here tonight. And if it was Wednesday night, I have the Wednesday night crowd. Some of the pillars of the faith. And you, you heard what Tim said. It's an old number that we've all heard, except for he put a little different twist on it. Do you remember? He said that 90% of Christians will live their entire life and never share their faith. 90%. Now think about that. So I mean, if I had 10 people lined up on this stage, nine of them would be a Christian all their lives and never share with anyone. Now, we're not talking about, because we, we misconstrue things. We think it's our job to save people. It's not. We're just supposed to tell. And God does the drawing, and God does the saving. All we've got to do is share the story. But anyway, nine out of ten, nine of these ten people out of the ten will never share their faith. And that really is quite incredible if you think about that. Now, his twist that night was, was that he said, according to his survey that he used, was that not only would 9 of 10 not serve, they had no intention of serving, you know, of telling, of sharing. You know, in other words, uh, 9 of the 10 say, I've not shared, and guess what? Not planning on doing it tomorrow. Which is really incredible because the command of Jesus Christ, we call it the Great Commission, is to share our faith. I mean, we're told in multiple places in the Bible that we are to be people who share. Now, if I were to say, you know, how many of y'all agree tonight that we shouldn't drink? Hands would just go up all over the place, and we'd all go, yeah, that's right, we shouldn't drink, and I don't drink. And, and how many of y'all think we all don't have affairs? And hands would go up, yeah, I don't think y'all have hairs, and we don't have an affair. And those different things. But if I ask you how many of you have shared your faith, the same people who do very well at keeping those sort of rules will never keep this rule. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why? Because, believe me, the Great Commission was not given to just preachers. It was given to all of us. And we need to really address that in our lives. Why is that such a deficit um, in our lives and our way of thinking? How can we overcome that? I, I flip back real quick to Psalm 34, which, by the way, I deal with the Baptist Hour. Anybody listen? Oh, yeah. All right. Uba. Uba. We're going to do the second part, Charlene and Charlie, on the on next well, month. We're going to do part number two. But anyway, um, what we covered Wednesday night was, in verse 14... Depart from evil, okay? That's the don't have an affair, don't get drunk, um, don't lie, don't gossip, don't depart from evil. But the flip side of that is, is do good. How many of y'all think sharing the gospel is a good thing? Sure it is. Do good. So we're to depart. That's a great depart from evil. But we've got to have that flip side, which is also doing good. And then it says seek peace and pursue it. And that's because God is the God of peace. He wants men to have peace with him and wants us to have peace of God in our lives. So there you go. That's a freebie. And so here's, here's my deal. Now, you have a pastor. I can honestly say I do 
I'd say pre-regularly share my faith. As opportunity arises, I, I share my faith. I'm probably not the guy who would strike up a conversation in the Walmart line and, and you know, witness. Although I've done that, I've done, Judy. I've done some. That's the one related. I'll never go to your church. <laughs> and I said, okay, all right. Well, that didn't work very well. But anyway, I, I, I can honestly say to you, as, as your pastor, I do share my faith. Um, but I'm not the kind of guy who can walk up and witness to a tree. You know, I'm just not that, that, that fluid in it. Um, but I will say that I, I do do that. So here's what I know. I know there's one kind of sharing of our faith where we do it what cold turkey. You really are not in a witnessing situation. And it really doesn't even, maybe, maybe there's not any even open door, but you kind of just poke around and see if there is one. And then there's this amazing thing that happens that seems like God opens the door. God opens the door. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. Now imagine how much easier it would be to share your faith if we learned, if we learned to sense God's leading and look at open doors and walk through them. How much easier would your how many of y'all no don't raise your hand, but how many of y'all would who never shared your faith and said, Well, you know, if I really felt like that God just opened the door, I, I think I could do that. And you'd say, Yes, that's right. And and I got good news for you. As we learn to uh, hear God and we learn to obey God, we're going to find multiple witnessing situations that's very easy for us to share our faith. All we've got to do is learn to recognize those. Now, the master at that, um, of course, besides Jesus Christ, of course, he was sharing himself, but it's Philip. Philip the Evangelist. Remember we mentioned his name, Philip the Evangelist. Take your Bibles and turn to, well, I'm going to read, I'm going to read Matthew 28, 20b. I'm going to read Acts 1a, but we're going to end up in Acts chapter 8, verse number 26. Okay? Acts chapter 8, verse 26 is where we're going to go. And, and Philip, because he learned to listen to God and recognize what God was saying, was a master um, at, at opening up opportunities to share his faith. And we see this. There's probably no better story in the book of Acts, a picture of what happens when we follow the leadership of God and are willing to share our faith. Now, this was going to be message four, uh, not this particularly, but, but close, was going to be message four and close out our big, great big, but God made a three series with Brother Mike in the middle. And Matthew 28, 20 says, be this. Now, get this. Those of us who say, 20 is really hard. I'm afraid to share my faith. Here's how Jesus closes out that great commission. After he says, make disciples, baptize, and teach them. Here's what he says. And remember. Say, and remember. In other words, here's some good news. You need to remember this. And remember... I am with you always. In other words, as we journey through life in our role as disciplers, and as we walk the discipleship road, we do not walk alone. Jesus Christ is with us. Lo, I am, that's the King James, lo, and remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So as we venture this year into perhaps uncharted ground for some of us, that is the ultimate goal of sharing our faith, you know, to end up the year and have shared our faith this year, then we remember that we don't ever walk alone. We walk with Jesus Christ. He is with us, and He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. That's really good news. Then remember, He said what? All authority, all power is given to who? To Him, right? Come on, Amen. All authority has been given to Jesus. Okay, watch this. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, so not only that he says, okay, I know this, is, this may be difficult for you, so I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. In fact, I am with you wherever you go. I'm with you to the end of the age. Remember that. You're never by yourself. And, and listen, listen, I have all power, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to share some of it. I'm going to share some of it. You don't even have to gin up the, the power. See, that's the big teaching I've been sharing with the last few weeks. We can't gin up his own power to live the Christian life. There's one person who effectively lived the Christian life, and it's Jesus Christ. We cannot live the Christian life. Only can the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ live it through us. And it's true with witnessing. We can't gin up enough power to be an effective witness, but Christ can witness in and through us. Does that make sense? So he says, I'm going to give you, listen, all the power is mine. You know, it's kind of like the kid in the room with all the cookies. He's got like dozens of cookies, and there's kids here with no cookies. And the kid says, you know what, I've got so many cookies, I think I'll share with you. Well, God's got all this power. Jesus got all this power, and he says, Jim, he says, I'm going to share it with you. And it's going to be in the form of the Holy Spirit, which you get when you are redeemed, when you're born again. So he goes, all authority, all power has been given to me, but I'm going to share it with you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that power is for what? Sharing your faith. And that really, come on now, isn't that cool? I mean, here's the thing. He doesn't give you power to, to split mountains open necessarily, but he says, I'll give you power that you can be a witness. So he promises to be with us. He promises gives us power specifically to be a witness. And that witnessship includes Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How incredible is that? So with that introduction, we're going to, how does God work this out? What does it look like? We saw what discipleship in the eyes of Jesus looked like this morning. What does it look like? What do, what do God-ordained witnessing situations look like? Okay, And that, granted, this one is so clear, you go, well, yeah, if everyone looked like that. But you'd be amazed how clear they are if we'll just watch and if we'll just listen. So Acts chapter 8 and verse number 26. Now, I find this very interesting. Philip, I told you, Philip was known as the evangelist. And we see in chapter 8, um, starting in verse number 5, this. Well, actually, verse number 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, time out. Why were they scattered? <laughs> Isn't that like God? All the, all the Christians were huddled up in Jerusalem, mainly. They are having a great time. And God says, you know, if we're going to get the word out, we're going to have to do something. So Saul comes on a scene, threatening and breathing threatenings on the church, and the people scattered. James is, is later killed. Okay? Amazing thing. So the people are scattered. Okay? But as they're scattered, they're scattered for a reason. Therefore, those who are scattered went everywhere preaching the word. This thing is great big to God that we share the good news. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Remember Philip the evangelist? And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip. As, as Philip spoke, the people responded. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Remember, we talked about this morning that Jesus said, I'm going to spend time with you so you can do the things that I did. All right? And they all pointed to Christ. Okay? Um, verse number seven. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, David, I think you'd say probably, even in today, you class as a very successful ministry. I mean, you'd say God was definitely using Philip where he was 
to do what he was doing, what God wanted done. Amen? We would say that. But then we come up on verse number 26. And here's what it says. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Get up and go. Now, time out. God was using Philip where he was. He was using Philip in a great way to reach that area of Samaria. But there came a time when God said to Philip, I want you to leave this very successful ministry where you are, and I want you to go to another place. Preachers know what this is. It's still, you know, still people go, why did you leave Cobden? Why, you know, I still get phone calls. Miss you. Miss you. It's been 12 years. Why, why did we leave a, a church that dearly loved us and come to this church? And we have experienced that love here. The reason why is because God had something different and greater, I think, in mind. And that was a ministry here. It didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. But God said go. And we have preachers know this. And hopefully you know this. Some of you may have been teaching one class and God let you to teach another class. Some of you may have had this position and God led you to another position. Now rarely, by the way, sometimes for rest purposes, God rarely leads you out of a ministry just to plop down on a bench somewhere. Okay, now there is rest times. But normally he leads you from doing one thing to doing another, okay? So, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, learn to hear. Learn to hear. Does God still speak to people? Yes. In fact, Tim, you heard it. We heard it from your, from your lips. It was an audible voice that Tim heard. So, I, I would say, I love this man. God speaks audibly to some people. He speaks through His Word. He speaks in our heart. He speaks through other believers. He speaks during prayer time, uh, whispering in our ears. God still speaks to people even today. Learn to hear that. Now, what you've got to do to do that is you've got to slow down and listen. Okay? You remember Elijah. Elijah was there in the cave, and the, and the earthquake came, and the wind came, and the fire came. And what did it say? God wasn't in all of that. And all of a sudden, there's a whisper. It's the still, small voice of God. Elijah had to get into a position where he would hear the still, small voice of God. As believers, we need to attune our heart to hear the still, small voice of God. Sometimes he shouts. I heard this man tonight. I was back there getting ready for baptism. I'm hearing, He was talking to the choir. Sometimes you speak softly, and sometimes you speak loudly, okay? And and the choir learns the tenor and the motivation of his voice. So we need to learn to hear what God says. In this case, God spoke to Philip and said, Get up and go south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. Some translations say this is the desert place. Both of those could be accurate. But here's the deal. It was an unlikely place. Now understand, here's a thriving ministry. People being saved, demons being cast out, people being healed. And then God says, Philip, the evangelist, I want you to leave this thriving ministry and I want you to go to a desert place. And then so easy for Philip so, to say, that can't be God. Maybe some bad pizza? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe his wife? You know, I don't know. Maybe a deacon? You need to lay here. You know, I don't know. But Philip understood it was God. He says, I want you to go to an unlikely place, a desert road. Verse 27. So he got up and went. Learn to hear God's voice. It may be through his word. It may be through a person. It may be audibly. It may be in your heart. Learn to hear the voice of God. Learn to obey. Even, listen, listen, listen. Even when it makes no sense. 
I'm sure the people, you know, he went to his, his flock there and said, I've got to go. Where are you going? To a bigger church? No, actually, I'm going to the desert. Well, you can't do that. It makes no sense. Sometimes God doesn't make sense, but he always makes sense. Amen? So, so he got up and went. Learn to obey the voice of God. And that involves what? T-R-U-S-T. Learn to trust God. Learn to trust God. If you've never taught before and you honestly feel that God has spoken, He's confirmed that God spoke to you, I need to teach a class. Even though you've never taught before, trust Him. You know, you've never been in the choir before. You feel like God wants you to minister to the choir. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. So He got up and went. And lo and behold, verse number 27, there was an Ethiopian man. Now this would be Nubia in the, in the ancient times. It's a country, a very powerful country, south of Egypt in Africa. Okay? There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, I didn't get this until tonight when I was studying. Cadence is really a title. It's not a name. You have Pharaoh in charge of the Egyptians. And you have, you have um, Caesar in charge of the Romans. You have Cadence, and that was a, that was a uh, title awarded to the queen mother. Okay, And the queen mother, often in this country, would run the government because, listen to this, it's cool. The son, who was the king, okay, was counted as a god, usually an offspring of the son. Okay? So he, a mere mortal, could, I mean, a, a god could never do what a mere mortal could do. So he would turn the, the ruling duties over to the queen mother, and he would sit there on the throne and be a son of the offspring of the son. Well, there you go. I thought you might enjoy knowing that. All right? Okay, so, so she's in charge of the political realm of the government, okay? And who was in charge of her, how much? Entire treasury. This guy is a position of prestige. He's a position of power. Life, we would say life is going good for this unit guy. Okay? This is, by the way, this is the guy that you'd say, you don't want Jesus. He's the guy at the golf course who drives the Mercedes and you drive the Chevrolet. And you say, he's not interested in God. This is the guy, ladies, that, that would have it all together. Her kids don't ever have a cavity. Okay? They all grow up and get scholarships to Harvard. Life seems so good. Marriage is wonderful. And you'd be tempted to say, well, she wouldn't be interested in my Jesus. We don't know who's interested in Jesus, folks. We don't know who's interested. So this eunuch is driving along... He's coming back from Jerusalem after worshiping, and he's sitting in his chariot. So all of these are points to the fact he has a text, the fact that he's in a chariot, the fact that he's not driving the chariot, all point to his importance, his wealth himself. Okay? So here's a guy that we would write off and say, probably not interested in religious stuff. Okay? So the Bible says he's coming back. By the way, maybe a proselyte, maybe just a seeker of God. We don't know. We don't know. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. Now, this is how we know how wealthy he is. He obviously had a chauffeur. You know how can we know this? Yeah, because even back then, you could not text and drive. Uh, I've been waiting to tell you that one all afternoon. <laughs> all right. So, he's reading the Word of God. How incredible is this? Now, remember now... Here's, you know, here's Philip coming up with this chair in a moment, and God has just set up a beautiful witnessing situation. Look at verse number 329. 
The Spirit, now, not the angel, the Spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Go and join that chariot. Now, how many of you, come on, be honest with me, but don't raise your hand. How many of you can think of a whole host of excuses not to do this? Well, I'm I'm embarrassed. Moses, I'm slow to speak. But listen, here's a list. Racial. Philip was a Greek. This guy is a a Nubian or an Ethiopian. There was a racial difference there, a racial divide. He was a black man, and and, and Philip was dark, but certainly not black. Religious reasons. Certainly, Philip was a Jew, and this guy may have been a proselyte, probably not. He was a Gentile. Um, Vocationally, Philip is a preacher. This guy's a politician, and that never mixes. All right? Economic, Philip is poor. Philip is poor. This guy's obviously rich, okay? Physical. Can you even get a picture of this? Here's this guy. Now, imagine it could be a whole um, entourage of chariots. Probably not just this guy. There's probably servants with him, all this. He's got the nice chariot, you know. He's sitting there reading the Word of God. And here comes this poor preacher guy jogging alongside the chariot. Can you get that? He's sweating. He's dirty. And here's the eunuch in all his opulence. I mean, come on, excuses. He'd go, you know, no, no, racial, no, religious, no, positional, vocational, economic. No, this is not a good match. I don't care how good it looks in the Bible. This is not good. But you know what Philip banked on? Go and speak. Learn to hear the voice of God. Learn to obey the voice of God. Even if it seems impractical. Alright, so, when Philip runs up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading now? Do you see the sensitivity here? Do you see that? Philip doesn't run up and go, hey, you need Jesus or you're going to hell. He doesn't come in and say, say I'm here with Northville Baptist Church and you get saved. He, he runs up and he probably, frankly, is jog- at least long enough to hear what's going on in the chariot. I mean, we're in the desert. I mean, he could have been a robber. You know, he could have been a beggar. But he just jogs for a while. And out of the chariot, he hears this Ethiopian reading the Word of God. So what does Philip, the master evangelist, does? He introduces a situation. He knows this guy is reading a text, okay? So he says, do you understand what you're reading? What a great question. What a golden opinion. That's what we've got to learn to recognize. When someone is saying, my life is so messed up, that is a witnessing opportunity. My husband's left me for another woman. That's a witnessing opportunity. You know, I, I, I lost my job last week. I don't know what I'm going to do. My children uh, are so messed up. What am I going to do? Hear those things and understand those are opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or a simple, hey, I went to church Sunday. And you say, oh, you did? Where? See, look for opportunities like that. Philip did. And said this, do you understand what you're reading? And watch this, it gets even better, verse 31. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He was invited into the chariot. Dirty, sweaty, dusty, invites. Hey, Eunice says, come on up here and, and, and come sit with me. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you would be more willing to share your faith if it was that easy? How many of you? Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. 
How many of you, though, would be more inclined to um, share your faith if God opened doors like that? Look at me. He does. You just got to learn to recognize it. I just have to learn to recognize it. It's great if you've got the boldness, you know, to, to stand in the Walmart line and strike up a conversation and, and directly lead to a gospel presentation while you're paying for your Walmart purchase. That's great. But what, as God's people, if we simply watch for open doors and walk through those doors? Y'all, some of y'all remember faith promise giving. You know about faith promise giving. God, if you put $10,000 in my hands this year, I will give it to missions. Y'all know what that is. If God gives you $10,000, you put it in. If God doesn't give $10,000, you don't. What I could challenge you as your pastor tonight, that ask God, would you be willing, if God gave you opportunities, and you knew it was a God opportunity, would you be willing to share? Not, I'm not asking you to show up on Tuesday night and knock on door, door cold turkey and say, are you going to heaven or hell? But would you be willing, in your sphere of influence, to simply watch for God opportunities? I think you would. I think you would. And that's what this year is about. We're going to show you opportunities and techniques and ways and give you an opportunity this year to leave that 90% and become part of the 10% who share their faith. It is just incredible. So this guy, Philip, is invited up into the chariot, okay? And here's what looks like. This is what he's reading. It's incredible. And by the way, was it any accident what he's reading? Uh, absolutely not. He could be reading Genesis, but he wasn't. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, verse 32. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Where is he reading from? He's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. No, no, no stronger Old Testament teaching about Jesus Christ. Now, his question is valid. Perhaps, again, this eunuch had to know something of the Jewish culture. He may have been a proselyte. Okay? But as you know, the Jews wrestled with the suffering Messiah. They saw the Messiah coming and being victorious king, overthrower of the oppressive government. They really missed the suffering Messiah. Okay? So, it's logical what he says to Philip. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself? Or another person? That was a really good question. And also another lead-in to the next step in the gospel presentation. At that point, very obviously, Philip proceeded to tell, verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news, the gospel about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. He started right there in, in Isaiah 53 and began telling him about Jesus. So watch this, watch this. Where did Philip start? Where the eunuch was. Where do we start? Where the person is. If the person is struggling in a marriage, you can begin telling and testifying, what, has God done something in your marriage? Okay? If he's struggling financially, has God done something financially? You start where that... And it, it may not be topical. You might simply say, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I know God has helped me in the past. Okay? Start where they are and build toward Jesus Christ. Amen? I know it's incredible, but it really is true and it really works. It really does. Okay? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Isn't that cool? 
What are we supposed to do? Reproduce in others what's in us, and then we're to baptize them. Isn't that incredible? So apparently Philip had moved from Isaiah to New Testament, and yes, to being baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, verse 37 is unique, and you've probably got brackets in your Bible. If you have King James, you probably have some brackets there. You know, 37 is not found in some of the older manuscripts, and don't let that throw you. It's fine. It's, it's a summary statement of what had to happen. Because of what we're fixing here in 37, we know the unit trusted Jesus Christ. So perhaps a scribe added it. I don't know. I'm not going to argue debate. It doesn't matter at all. I just some of the old manuscripts don't have it. But Philip said, um, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is what happened in the eunuch's heart. That is what happened. He came to a, a recognition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and placed his faith and trust in him. All right? So what happens? Verse 38. He orders the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Went down? Uh, why didn't Philip just go down and get a glass of water and sprinkle it? Because that's not baptism. My friend, Andy Stanley, who is not my friend, but I sure like the way he teaches, said something the other day I just flat disagree with. He said, we don't, we don't worry about how you're baptized. If you've been sprinkled, that's okay. Sorry, Andy, you're wrong. Because the word for baptismo means to put into, to go under, to dip, to immerse. And every example we have in the Bible is an indication of going down and being dipped. I think it does matter. Uh, sprinkling was added somewhere around 300 A.D. by a pope who said, for convenience sake, boop, and you're baptized. It's not biblically. It's not there in the Bible. So they go down. And, come on. Amen, Baptist? So, so they go down to the water, and he baptized him. Now, this is where it just blows my model to pieces from this morning. When they came up out of the water, <laughs> they went down and they came up, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Okay? And the eunuch did not see him any longer. Now, how was, how was the eunuch discipled? We're going to have to trust that God sent somebody his way to disciple him. Because for whatever reason, God called Philip away. God did not, Philip did not get the opportunity to hang around and disciple this new convert. God called Philip to a new job assignment, to, to Azotus, okay, or uh, to Ashdod is the other name of this place. He had a new job assignment. But we trust that God took care. That should not be the norm, though. We should not lead people to Jesus Christ, and good luck, we hope you make it. But that's what God chose to do this time, and we have to believe that God provided a, a discipler for the eunuch, okay, in this case. Now, Philip appeared in Zeotis, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, the, the evangelist kept right on doing what he did, what? Telling people about Jesus. Now, this is really interesting. And this is something I grabbed on today, too. In um, Acts 21, 8, 9, from this time forward, from Acts chapter 8, Philip disappears. You don't hear of Philip again for 20 years. 20 years passes. And then, finally, in 21, verse 8 and 9, it says this. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So 20 years passes after this encounter and we never hear from Philip. But you know what Philip was doing? You know what Philip was doing? Tell people about Jesus. 
You know why we know that? It doesn't say we're in the house of Philip who used to be an evangelist. They're in the house of Philip the evangelist. See, even though there's a pure science and you don't know what a person, what God's doing in the person's life, it's like those guys, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, huh? Let me tell you something. Not until you get to heaven will you know what Thaddeus and Bartholomew did, but those 11 changed the world. Not those four, not those five, not the inner circle, all of them. And guess what? God can use us and God can use you to change your part of the world. Amen? Let's pray. Now, we don't... um, This is not something we talk about a lot. But I know this. After talking with Judy, I know some of the ladies in our church who struggle to have children. And even though they have a happy home, they have a wonderful husband... There's a real emptiness when a woman is not able to be a mother. It's a real struggle. And we don't talk about evangelism very much in the sense that is it just possible that so many of us have a certain emptiness. We tithe, we give, we do what God's Word says, we try to do good, but there's this emptiness. Could it be that emptiness is there because we're barren spiritually? Could it be that if God would open the door in 2013 was the, was the time when you got to share your faith. Is it possible that this would be the year of Jubilee for you and that you'll be understand the gospel, you'll understand the word of God in a way you never have before? Let's make that our prayers. That God will remove our barrenness and that we may bear children for him in the kingdom. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share tonight, certainly for the chance to baptize my sister tonight. Uh, We celebrate that. God, I want to thank you for this time we spend in in the Great Commission for the wonderful story. And Father, I pray this boldly tonight. I pray for me. I pray for my, my friends. God, would you help us to hear your voice? And when you speak, help us not to be afraid. When you speak, help us not to be afraid. And then, Lord, help us to obey. Help us to trust you and believe you. Father, even this day, in fact, even this this day tomorrow, as we go to work or wherever we go, this week, help us to be sensitive to open doors that you have for us. And then, God, we believe and we know that you will place the words in our mouth to help us. It's good to be trained, but that's not the problem. The problem is, God, we just need to trust you in this incredibly important area. And the reason why is because the folks we're talking to are destined to this place called hell. Because we learned this morning that heaven is not the default destination. Hell is. So, God, we're going to trust you just like Philip did. And we look forward to hearing great reports as we journey through this year. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.